Okay, so this brings me to a point yeah. that I wrote down literally three different times in my notes today oh. that I thought of three different times today okay. and wrote down, not remembering that I'd already written it down. That's the best. Which is... <laughs> March 25th. We now have 3,409 cases in Canada, 667 cases in Ontario, 319 in Toronto, 35 deaths in Canada, 13 of those are in Ontario, 4 of those are in Toronto. 22 of the cases in, uh, and there's 22 cases in Toronto hospitalized. Yes. And today, like every day, a lot of things happened. Um, oh yeah, and I've been meaning to mention that as a note to our future selves coming back <laughs> to listen to this, <laughs> that we are in no way covering all the news that happens in a day. No. Just we just kind of talk about what occurs to us. What's noteworthy? I think listeners in the present understand that just fine. Yeah. Um, some of the headlines today were that Spain has surpassed China in deaths. So... Now Italy has the most deaths, followed mm. by Spain, followed by China. Um, Canada announced an emergency response benefit, which is $2,000 a month for the next four months um, for anyone who has lost income this year. Mm-hmm. Like, Is it actually like a flat 2000 for everyone? Like, I suspect some people will partially lose income I don't know hmm. if it's a flat. It sounds kind of like it's a flat 2000, but mm-hmm. I don't actually know that. It's like the point of these things needs to be that it's fast. Like it can't be like someone, you can't yeah. like fill out forms that someone has to then review that then like I think the, the idea is, is to just write. They said they're going to have it up and running by April 6th and they want to have the money starting to be deposited a few days after and so the that. idea is you apply and you get it, and then maybe they figure it out yes. in, in your ta- when they do well your taxes. Well, I think you need basically no, um, like all you have to do is have had some income loss last year. No, like some income <gasps> oh, that you could have lost. Oh, I see. I see. Good. And then they'll figure it out on the back end when they do taxes, I guess. I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to do it, I think. I don't know for sure, but... Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's not universal. It's not the universal crisis income that we were talking about the other day, but mm-hmm. it is something. Mm-hmm. Prince Charles has tested positive for COVID-19. How old is he? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And the other Canadian news is that um, Patty Head Jew announced today that they're going to be Enforcing the Quarantine Act, invoking the Quarantine Act for travelers mm-hmm. returning to Canada. So they're now being compelled to stay home for 14 days. Yeah. I don't really know how that changes anything or what teeth they're planning to add to that, but it is no longer a suggestion. I mean, now they home. can c- call the police. Like people that are, I think, like there was this whole caravan of motorhomes or whatever that came in from Florida mm-hmm. and parked in a Walmart parking lot somewhere. I can't remember, like near the border. 
mm-hmm. and like they all got out and they all started loading up like going into the store lining up to go into the store and like it was actually like a an early shopping time for like older people and like yeah. all these people out of the motorhomes that had just traveled in from the uh. u.s started to go in and so like the people around were feet like this people in the store were getting antsy and like yeah. everyone was like eh, are you guys supposed <laughs> to be here like yeah. and but they couldn't really you can't really say anything like right. it's not but yeah. now they can like call the police i guess i don't know i think it's all i think it's l- like i think it's a law like that's they they're legally not i think the police can you think i think we don't know i don't know anything really (laughs) (laughs) um anyways it's supposed to have teeth and then i mentioned on the podcast yesterday that i'd read this twitter thread by a new york doctor who was describing his day um, that doctor was Craig Spencer, and that mm. Twitter thread got picked up and published by the Washington Post. Mm. And he also did the rounds on a bunch of interview shows in the U.S. Mm. Um, so I wasn't the only one impressed by him. You can easily find his story now. Mm-hmm. And I also saw a lot of obituaries mm. from Americans today. Mm. There was like a you know, high profile chef and a high profile playwright who died yesterday hmm. from COVID nineteen in New York. Mm-hmm. Those are the things going on. Mm-hmm. I just looked yeah. up Prince Charles is seventy one. Okay. Now we know. I mean I th- I assumed he was high in the high risk group. I just wasn't sure how high risk. Yes. But yeah. So what's on your mind today? Uh, travelers, one of the other headlines was around travelers hiding symptoms to get into the country and how effective any of the screening, Mm -hmm. screening really questions, really they're just asking people questions. And so if you're highly motivated to get into the country and not get stuck in wherever you are, there's your, there's a lot of motivation to not mention that you are feeling sick i think is the point and some and they interviewed one person who who came back to the country and had it Mm -hmm. was diagnosed with covid19 and she said that she pretty much knew that she had it when she was getting on the plane and she just didn't she just wanted to get back home her parents like were very worried and everyone was telling her just get home and so she just didn't tell anybody that she was feeling sick. Came home. Yeah. And that's probably happening a lot. So, I mean, and now where at least. Where did you read this? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I think it's CBC. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess CBC. Yeah. So it's just a, another, it's, you know, how I think some people, I'm sure ha- asking people questions, like it's hard to lie to someone in it to their face, right? Like it is. I think for most people anyways, that's still a hard thing to do. So I'm sure you screening is worthwhile, but we should be aware that it's not, it's not going to catch everybody. Yeah. I think everybody knows it's not going to catch everybody. Yeah. I don't even really know what is, I don't even think it, like it hardly catches anybody. I think screening, I think quarantining is 
more well, important. It's the, in that article, they talked about people on an airplane, like flight attendants were talking about being on an airplane where people were coughing, like mm-hmm. coughing the whole time on the plane, yeah. like a nine-hour flight, and there's people clearly right. that are lying about symptoms. Yeah. And in those cases, like, should you not, I mean, what do you, I guess you don't want to turn the plane around. There could be like yeah, a I don't know. like you could actually have people come for the flight an hour in advance and they sit in a room mm-hmm. and, and see who and coughs. You're like what listening for people <laughs> coughing and then kicking them out. There like you go. So this <laughs> is why we need faster testing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We don't have the trust people. Yeah. Um, I'm continuing my my study of. Social distancing, does it work? <laughs> Are we doing enough? <laughs> yeah. This is my question every day. Yes. So there's some very interesting uh. studies and data popping up about this. And all the data is showing that, yes, social dist- dis- distancing does work. And of course it does, Tanya, because it is literally the only thing that can work. So, as evidence of this, I guess, I just always keep looking for evidence. Mm -hmm. So, there's a study from the WHO and Imperial College of London and a few others that were looking at the study, or studying the initial success of social distancing in China. And I didn't read the paper. I mostly just looked at the pictures. But the pictures were really dramatic in that they showed, so it was prevented, presented in pairs of graphs. And so you would have one graph that showed the rise and fall of the cases, and then another graph that would show the, um, as social distancing measures went into place. So like how people moved around the city. Mm-hmm. And these graphs were just, completely opposite Mm -hmm. and they kind of had the same shape in different cities and so you could just really see quickly in these graphs that social distancing looked like it was very clearly impacting the cases Mm. so that was very good to see and so social distancing doesn't work are we doing enough the are we doing enough part um i found this thing called City Mapper Mobility Index, which I assume uses cell phone data or something to see how much people are moving around in different cities. And so you can look at two weeks ago, one week ago, yesterday. Two weeks ago, 86% of Toronto was moving around, and now it's 22%. Yeah. So that's a big de- decrease. Mm-hmm. That's super great. But the very hard-hit cities, like your New York... Milan, Paris, Rome, San Francisco, Barcelona, Vienna are all under 10%. Mm-hmm. 4% to 10%. 4% th- to 9%. And it does seem like there is more that could be done here that maybe isn't being done. Like certain construction sites are still operating. We know that there was an article about three of the LRT, l- the Eglinton line, Crosstown line workers having COVID-19 being diagnosed and in that article they were sort of asking like why is this why is this work continuing on when everything else is shut down and mm-hmm. for some reason it's considered an essential service mm-hmm. but, but yeah I mean there's essential 
in general and essential right now. Mm-hmm. <coughs> so, it, you know, so I they're just make so there's room for us to lock down more. The yeah. question is, do we have to lock down more? Mm. That's always the question because it's like, and the answer should always be yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> because if you like, you'll just pay for it so much later if you don't lock down but and yet it's just so hard to do that up front right yeah as we know because we i feel like every day we social isolate a little bit more yeah everyone's on this trajectory to do better and better yeah um and seoul south korea who which has done a really good job of controlling their outbreak they have about 36 percent of people moving right so we're kind of like in between them and the hard hit cities. Mm. Th- they were at that even in the peak of their. No, no, no yesterday. That's where they were yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So they've relaxed. I'm sure they've relaxed. Yeah, their I'm sure they have. Right. Okay. <laughs> so then I was kind of reflecting on this, and I was thinking how. Toronto and by extension Ontario and probably by extension Canada kind of had a head start for this epidemic because of our experience with SARS in 2003 Mm -hmm. and the cities and countries that people have been crediting right now with their excellent response to COVID-19 which is largely Singapore, Hong Kong, Taiwan they were all hit by SARS and so they had the public health infrastructure and the recent public memory of these outbreaks and so they were very prepared to act and in Toronto I feel like we have some of that Mm. but in Toronto that SARS outbreak wasn't in the community it was in the hospitals and so it was very concentrated um and so there's not a wide public memory of the outbreak. I mean, a memory of the the happening of it, mm-hmm. but not an experience of being afraid of it mm-hmm. necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and the experience of getting it under control in the community didn't have to happen. So we kind of have like definitely the people, so many of the people that are, involved in this outbreak today who are in government or who are in the hospitals on their resumes like you know they were this person in the SARS outbreak or they went through the SARS outbreak and Mm -hmm. so we have that lived experience that that is informing these decisions and I bet that we're doing much better as a result of that than we would have otherwise Mm -hmm. even though there have been some missteps yeah, even though there have been some missteps. And that reminds me of the masks <laughs> that we've never talked about. Yeah. So after SARS, um, it was widely decided that we should have a stockpile of N95 masks as every single country around the world is learning. Yeah. And so Ontario stockpiled 55 million masks. And then what did they forget to do, Tillich? <laughs> well, they let them expire. They didn't. So they there were articles about this a long time ago in the paper. Well, not a long time ago, but before it really hit Toronto. But there was talk about 
why these masks are sitting there, but just expired. Like, like had this happened a year ago, six months ago even, I think they might have been useful. I think they expired, like, just a month before this this happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so what they say said in some of these articles, like whoever the government representative they interviewed was, it was they were given funds to buy this stuff, but not to manage it, really. Meaning that what they should have been doing was moving the stockpile the older stock in the stockpile out and using it in hospitals while buying new stock to replace replenish and keep it fresh um and that just didn't happen clearly and now mm. this is where we are and but there i think just as of today i read somewhere that they are thinking about finding ways to use some of that stockpile in in things like mask fit testing so if you work at a hospital you have to get fitted for these masks so at least in those cases they're not using new stock of masks to um just yeah those kinds of things and learning how to uh don and doff so put on and take off this stuff appropriately which is which is a skill that needs to be developed and so Mm -hmm. having having this uh, even the expired stuff for those kinds of uses as well as um i think some people were saying they might use them in place of the surgical masks which i think are also in short supply so they can they well they might circulate them for that yeah because an expired n95 mask should provide more protection than surgical mask for sure all right so social distancing does it work? Yes. Are we doing enough? Hopefully. Hmm. Um, another interesting thing I saw today was a new website that's a government response tracker, which is trying to look at how various responses by governments is affecting how many cases a country has. And the website's a bit, I don't know, there's not a ton of information there yet, but there's some neat graphs where for I think six different countries they plot the cases of COVID-19 and then they try and plot the government response and they do that by giving their response a value of stringency so a higher value of stringency means presumably you're locking more people down and then a low value of stringency is you don't have very many controls in place so in most countries as the cases go up the red stringency dots are going up italy was really striking there was just they were exactly the same curve so mm-hmm. italy just as their cases were going up they just kept locking more and more and more things down and there's one country i can't remember which that the stringency went up first so they were trying to get ahead of it and then but the u.s was the most striking graph because their cases were just going up, 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 and the red stringency line just stayed flat <coughs> at the bottom. Like there was no response until the very end of the timeline, and then there was just a red blip. Yeah, they're gonna pay a price for this. the The people there that were or still are in denial or spreading denial about about what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was reading a great article in the Atlantic today called How It Ends. And um, the author started out by interviewing a bunch of public health people. And 
they all said the same thing, which is that the U.S. response to this is worse than they p- could have possibly imagined. Like, mm-hmm. no scenario they ever ran mm. would have they imagined a response like this. And one of the main things being, like, when the CDC shipped out those tests at the beginning and they were faulty, and then that's yeah. when s- things started spinning out of control. Yeah. Um, no one in any simulation that they'd ever run thought of being like, oh, the tests won't work. Mm-hmm. And it's just gone downhill from there. Mm-hmm. Um, so n- now the article was saying it's difficult but not impossible to catch up. I guess. Mm. But, um, yeah, it was a good article. Um, a few little interesting nuggets I pulled out was that they divided, like, they're like you can just divide everybody into two groups right now. Mm. You have group A, that's your healthcare workers and people making supplies for healthcare. That's group A. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is group B. Mm-hmm. Group B's job is to buy group A <laughs> more time. Mm-hmm. So stay home. <laughs> like do whatever you can to buy group A more time. Yes. I thought that was a, a very wise thing to say. Mm-hmm. And then um, they also had this concept of whack-a-mole. Mm. So I think so this is I'm just going to insert my framework into here for a second. So the the outbreak and resolution of the outbreak has to happen in three or actually maybe I'll say four stages now after I've read the article. So stage one is you have to control the initial outbreak, which is where we are now. Stage two is you have to deal with any reoccurring outbreaks after you have the first one under control Hmm. um which is what this article referred to as whack-a-mole which i really like you just gotta like stand there and watch and be vigilant and wait for it to pop up Mm. and smack it back down and then stage three is you reach herd immunity in the population where it's very hard for the virus if if it does pop up somewhere from a traveler or something it's going to be very hard for it to spread right because either enough of us have got it that we're immune or ideally we've got a vaccine. Yeah. And then the fourth stage with this article added on for me is is the aftermath, is like mm. the healing that we have to do after this from the trauma. Yeah. Even if you haven't directly experienced trauma from the virus, but just all the quarantining and isolation and job losses, job losses and all the things that are going to change in the next few months and years. And yeah. So, yeah. So my framework got changed from three to four stages. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's good to think about that and kind of allow for us all to collectively heal, like to allow for that time whenever this, whenever that comes. Yeah, and the hope that we heal into something better and stronger than we were before. I'm sure we will be stronger. (laughs) They gave examples. They, it's funny because I've been thinking about that on a very grand scale, right? Like Uh maybe our 
social safety nets will just be so much better than they used to be. But then also just little things like maybe everybody's just going to wash their hands better. Well, like that's forever now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's star- SARS after SARS. Every entrance to every hospital has alcohol gel because mm-hmm. of that. So, I mean, yeah, I, I suspect, you know, we've already made like that mm-hmm. has led to that and probably has helped in this case already. Right. The alcohol gel yeah. is just widely used just for flu you know probably we've saved lives as a result of flu virus not getting spread as much into hospitals and things Mm -hmm. yeah for sure go ahead no you can go i've been talking a lot oh the the thing about the u.s just got me thinking about um there i think What's interesting, it's really interesting to listen to some of the people speaking on both, like what I guess traditionally was left and right political spectrum. There's people on both sides that are agreeing about what needs to happen next. And like even someone like Steve Bannon, I heard him talking about like they just, we this is going to hurt the economy, but we got to do this. Like if we don't. This being. Quarantine. We, we gotta just lo- yeah lock get rid. We gotta lock everything down, get this thing under control, and then think about how to fix the economy because mm-hmm. there is no economy until we fix this. Right. Yeah. Like that is the primary. That's the obvious thing that. And he's he's like he's basically saying, take a month, two months, three months, whatever it needs to be. You're gonna have to float a bunch of companies. Like we don't want. We don't want all these businesses to go bankrupt, so we have to just, however you infuse cash into the system, it's whether it's to workers or whether it's to companies or a combination, you have to do that to temporarily keep everyone afloat. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end, we're going to have to figure out how we put it all back together. But the first thing has to be to hammer this hard. Like no. Who's talking to Steve Bannon? Why does he have anything to say on this? <laughs> he's just some. He's, he's he was an advisor. He's a strategist. He was a strategist. Okay, so Steve Bannon. I just on thought the side. it was really interesting. Like I just was. I thought all the right wing kind of people were on the side of like, let's just we It's time to worry about the economy now. Let's put. Yeah. Let's just slow down this distancing stuff because we got to worry about But they're still saying, like, is this day three of this now that they've been saying that know. we need yeah. to reopen everything by Easter? Like, obviously that's not going to happen. They can't do, I th- hopefully they don't try to do that. I mean, they, w- they won't they be ca- able they to. They can't do that. Like, yeah. it's just, it's going to get worse Their and worse. They're just in denial. are going to explode. Yeah. <sighs> I don't. I mean, sorry, maybe this ties into my one other point that I was going to say, which was that we can't, I don't think anybody, as human creatures, we're really, really bad at being able to see into the future. Even if, like, there's, we have this, like, other countries have just gone through this whole trajectory right in front of us. There's videos and, like, pictures and data, and yet we can't, all we can see is where we are today. And it's really hard for us to extrapolate that out, mm-hmm. even east to Easter, like that, you know, and that. And yeah. I, I just keep seeing. There's one podcast I listen to called Pivot, where the I wish I had c- p- pulled up the quote, but he said this is this is when things were s- just starting to get bad in China, 
and this was a common kind of refrain at the time that this is all overblown the media is making this sound worse than it is around at the time it was being called things like wuhan virus and coronavirus it was the names of it right mm-hmm. and and he said very very like he's just it's like this is all so overblown uh, this is a big just more mm-hmm. people die of the flu and like all that stuff right mm-hmm. and and then the next week they c- or the next episode which might have been like i think they do two episodes a week so whatever that was later in that same week he was he like referred back to that and said oh i guess my comments from last episode didn't age very well (laughs) and then just in the latest episode like the one i listened to yesterday or the day before he's talking about now the economy and he's saying this is not this is not what we're talking about 1920s depression level stuff that we're seeing in it we're far from that and then his co-host kara swisher said but but that's not yet you know we don't Mm -hmm. that's how we are today but we don't know where it's going yet it's it's clearly on a downward it's there's clearly a risk of it going further down and and we are really bad at telling the future it's just we can't (laughs) we can't do it i mean that's why people don't save for retirement and whatever we just Mm -hmm. are terrible at thinking about what's going to happen and imagining these futures and especially when the future is so far off from what you yeah imagine that it was gonna be yeah and i like we've been <laughs> we've been thinking about this and adjusting to this for months because yeah. you were on this like immediately uh, christmas break i remember you being yeah, you I was heard this like virus out of china what and then i was on the it's not really worse than the flu bandwagon for a couple weeks and like not just trying to get you to calm down a bit and then one night i remember you asked me like you made me do the math on how many people would get sick and need hospital beds and so i did the math and i looked up how many hospital beds (laughs) we had yeah and i was like oh shit so since then, we've kind of been like trying to figure out. So then we're like, okay, so how is this going to affect everything? How is this going to affect supply chains? What do we need? What supplies do we need to get for Caden? And it was, they were just like uh, paralyzing conversations because I just felt like when everything is just normal around you yeah. and everything is just going on normally yeah. and it's like, it's it was so hard to take action yeah i even thought about like should we get some masks like uh, it like because cadence here we might actually like if need th- yeah. we might need to go outside like i don't know how bad this like is gonna get like should but then i like didn't because it yeah. just felt weird to like yeah it took it me weeks before i did anything it felt too like and so is that is this feeling that we had that the same thing that like government agencies also like even though it's right in front of you yeah it's but it's right but i feel like the government agencies have should have a bit more experience and responsibility to act but they're just people too i guess they're just people too and they probably have way more like they also have immediate problems to deal with, right? Like there's always mm-hmm. some fires they're trying to fight, right? Right. Like it, this isn't. Fires. It's not like they're just sitting around waiting for mm-hmm. something to do. It's like there's stuff that's happening all the time. 
Okay, so this brings me to a point yeah. that I wrote down literally three different times in my notes today uh, that I thought of three different times today okay. and wrote down, not remembering that I'd already written it down. That's the best. Which is, <laughs> like, in retrospect, the job that China did getting this under control was Herculean, mm-hmm. Herculean effort. Amazing just unbelievable considering that they had no warning Mm -hmm. no information no anything Mm -hmm. when their outbreak started Mm -hmm. and then not only did they get it under control in what seems to be a pretty short time when you look around the globe right now but they didn't have other outbreaks in other parts of the country it got exported all over the world and every other country got caught off guard. Mm-hmm. But all those people that left Wuhan for their holidays, mm. for the New Year break, something like 7 million people left the city. Right. Who knows how many people were infected. Right. And they took it all over China, and but there weren't any other hmm. outbreaks. Like it's... Yeah. It's absolutely amazing what they did. And I think people, when it happened, it seemed like the worst case scenario when really like it may just be a medium case scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be I mean, it's only the history books that will tell the whole story, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah. In retrospect, there's those videos of them, you know, because I don't think they even knew like how long does the virus stay alive? Like we're we only got that kind of information like exactly like two weeks ago. They didn't have so that they were like fogging. Like there's these videos of people in trucks driving around the streets, like mm-hmm. spraying what looks like disinfectant on everything, spraying people with disinfectant, like because they right, just because they didn't have that paper that said it only lives for two days. Whatever, or, right? Yeah. So they just they're like, what if this stuff is just mm-hmm. everywhere and stay and yeah. Yeah. Anyways, we're in the thick of it now. What's the? I keep thinking, what's the term they use? Draconian is the term I kept seeing. Yeah. With <laughs> regard to China. I mean, it was like. Yeah. I. Yeah. It I was. Don't know. I don't know the details of what they did, and I'm. Sh- I know people were hurt in the process. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's videos of but people getting. Yeah. Getting. Um, dragged mm-hmm. like people with symptoms getting dragged from their houses and put in mm-hmm. these where taken away to hospitals and things yeah it, uh, yeah yeah i'm not i'm not condoning or necessarily saying that it is the right thing to do but it was an effective thing to do yeah. what they did was mm-hmm. incredible so now we just see what everybody else does. Yeah. And the best thing, of course, to do is to not have to do that. Yeah. And to stop it before it starts. Mm-hmm. Which I keep hoping is what we've managed to do here. And then we just have to wait and see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now it is bedtime. Because fun fact, podcast listeners, we recorded most of this episode <laughs> and then realized that the recorder wasn't on. Well, no, the memory card just filled up and it was flashing. Card full, card full. So then we had to 
do it again. So now it's late. We have to go to bed. And no joke today, but we're going to play you out with a song that was (laughs) produced by a podcast I've been listening to called um, Today Explained by Vox. And they made a song about staying six feet away for Mm. the coronavirus. And it's amazing. Six feet away. Enjoy. Good night. Good night. You need to stay six feet away, six feet away. You called me twice in a row, asking me out. I said, let's stay in. And I don't want to be alone, so I need you to know. I need you to know that you need to stay six feet away, six feet away. You need to stay six feet away, six feet away. Stay six feet away, six feet away.